Welcome to Sketch Therapist, the podcast that improves your sketch life. In today's episode, I'm going to tell you the story of how sketching became such a huge part of my life. So sit back and enjoy. The story I'm going to tell you has its sad bits, but the good news is it ends really happily. So where do I start? Okay, so I guess from the age of, well, I don't know, almost zero um, until 2012, well, art had always been a huge part of my life. Uh, I very much identified as an artist from the time I was very small. Um, I sold my first paintings when I was only 14 and I always just assumed that art would be a big part of my life. In fact, I kind of thought I was going to be rich and famous. I know, I know it sounds so stupid and well, let's wait and see what happens. But I discovered that rich and famous uh, wasn't necessarily the glittering prize I thought it would be. So time was going on and I always thought that it was just around the corner. All this, all this, 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 this accolade, this joy, this, this glittering prize. I, I really thought it was just around the corner. But suddenly my 20s were over and then my 30s were over and it hadn't happened yet. And I was beginning to think, hang on a second, what's going on? It wasn't so much that I hadn't found fame and fortune because I'd done pretty okay. I'd sold work, as I say, from the age of 14. I'd sold work regularly through galleries, privately, through commissions. I'd run a business, a really successful illustration business for a few years that I very much enjoyed doing and gave me great satisfaction. But there was something missing. There was something missing. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I knew it was there. I knew it was there and it was just out of reach and it was starting to eat away at me. Did not know how to reach it. And I felt very strongly that I could, I could reach it. It was just there. It was just there. And yet it was as far away as it ever had been. And I didn't really know how to handle this. I was beginning to become frustrated and as my husband said to me at one stage, you're becoming very bitter, Ro, and it's not attractive. Well, that was nice to add to the the already present disappointment and, yes, bitterness. I would see success of other artists and I would feel jealous and I would feel envious and, yeah, bitter. But above all was an overriding sense of frustration that there was something I had, something that I couldn't reach and it was driving me crazy. Okay, so time went on and then in 2011, the husband and I decided to go on an adventure. Well, he decided. He, he, Marcel is half Mauritian and he had always wanted to spend some time on the island of Mauritius in the Indian Ocean. Tropical island, tropical paradise. What's not to love? Well, the only problem was that by then we had three young children who were very happy and very settled in school. And I found the idea of taking them out of school and flying them across the world six and a half thousand miles to a little island, I found it terrifying. It made me very anxious. But, you know, I felt quite strongly that if you're married, if you're with someone, you know, on a kind of a commitment situation, you shouldn't get in the way of their dreams unless it's kind of completely nuts. So 
My husband had suggested loads of different countries and they all freaked me out. Perth, Melbourne, always too far. New Zealand, even further. Chile, I thought there'd be a coup or an earthquake. There was never Provence or somewhere in Spain. It was always somewhere very, very far away and exotic. And when he suggested Mauritius, I knew the jig was up and that it was only a matter of time before we'd give it a go. So I just accepted it. Now, my friends around me thought I was a bit crazy to have any reluctance whatsoever. And they would say to me, have you room in your suitcase for me? That kind of thing. They used to say to me, what are you going to do when you're over there? And I would say, well, I don't really know, but... I think Mauritius is a land of opportunity and I'm going to be open to whatever happens. Well, little did I know that a lot kind of happened. Okay, so January 2012, we've left freezing cold, windy, wet Galway. It's night time. It's a horrible night. We've packed up the kids into the car and we've driven across the country, dressed in as many creative layers of clothing as I could think of in anticipation of arriving in the middle of a tropical summer because Mauritius is just below the equator. So it's back to front seasons from us here in Ireland. And in January, it's pretty much as hot as it gets in Mauritius. So we arrived and we were dazed and dizzy and certainly I was. And turns out that there are no amount of layers you can take off to acclimatise to a tropical summer when you've come from an, an Irish winter. But... You know, we settled in and I'll tell you about how that was in another episode. But for today, I just want to tell you about how the whole sketching thing came to be such an explosion in my life. So the little the little image that goes with today's podcast, uh, that's one of my very earliest sketches. Um, it's the pool in the villa where we were living. And I will tell you how that came about. OK, so it was early February, my birthday uh, fell around um, in the first week, I think the start of the second week. And I, my mum had sent some beautifully wrapped presents with me and insisted that I put them into my suitcase. I was a bit reluctant, to be honest, because my suitcases were already overflowing. But my mum insisted. And, you know, as she knows, what the gifts that she sent with me, they would turn out to change my life. OK, so one of them was a book in pink wrapping paper with a big pink translucent kind of a glittery ribbon on it. And it was a book called Everyday Matters and the author is Danny Gregory. So the story is a memoir. It's a story of Danny's life in the States, in the US, when his wife had an accident and ended up being confined to a wheelchair. And it's the story of how their family life has turned upside down and how Danny has to find some way to find something to occupy himself, I suppose, or to, to something to take his mind off their troubles. I, I'm, I'm not sure, sure what exactly. But one way or another, he takes up sketching whatever happens to be in front of him. And he does a few objects over and over again. One of them in particular is his medicine cabinet in his bathroom. And he draws it again and again and again. And eventually he thinks it looks pretty okay. He becomes bitten by the sketching bug and he starts to sketch all around him and his hobby and his new activity start to grow. And he ends up basically travelling all around the world with his wife and their little boy. Um, and he sketches, he sketches as he goes. And you can follow Danny on one of his um, many platforms. Danny, Danny is a huge inspiration to people all over the world. Okay, so I was about halfway through 
the book. It's not a big book. And I was sitting in a, one of these woven wicker ch- chairs outside our little villa, just at the edge of the pool where we were living. And I looked up at the pool and I just addressed nobody and nothing in particular. And I just said out loud, why am I not sketching? And I knew, I somehow knew that something was going to happen. I just had that feeling. I I don't know how, but I did. Anyway, I had brought a few little bits and pieces for art with me, not not very many. And I raced upstairs to get them and I started drawing some of the gifts that my sweet little children had given me. Um, one of them was a Tintin book in Creole from my son Paddy because he he knows that I'm a, a fiend for, for languages and he knew I'd get a big kick out of uh, reading the book in Creole. Of course, I'm a huge Tintin fan as well. And my eldest child, Honor, had given me a a fabulous CD, which she'd put together herself, um, just pictures and stories that she'd put together. She's very creative. And my youngest, Livy, was only seven and she gave me um, a black mug with some a picture, a map of Mauritius in gold on it and a lovely fan with a Japanese lady on it. OK, so I started drawing these these items, you know, and there was no reason to draw them. I wasn't drawing it for anybody or anything. They were already there. Nobody was asking them to be drawn. And I made a few mistakes. I think Tintin's hand is sticking out of um, the cover of the book. I think it was The Secret of the Unicorn. And his hand is sticking out and I didn't care, didn't mind, because who cares? And the fan was all drawn drawn wrong. And again, who cares? Doesn't matter. And the mug, the ellipse of the mug was wrong. And, you know, but, you know, I just adored the feeling of drawing those shapes and making those shapes on the paper wobbly as they were. So, as I say, I just thought, well, I mean, I'd done art all my life, so why would this be any different? But it somehow was different. So I started drawing everything around the house. I drew a palm tree uh, sticking out. It was, I think it was a coconut palm that was outside an upstairs window. And I drew it. There was a cyclone. So a cyclone is a Mauritian form of, hur- of a hurricane. And the power was out. And I, I drew the um, the workmen coming to fix the power lines. Um, and they had the the ladder up against the palm tree. Now, nowadays I would have drawn the men really, really quickly. But by the time I even registered that there were men in the scene, they had all gone. So I just got a very windswept looking coconut palm in the drawing, but I really enjoyed drawing it. Then I drew the pool uh, where we were staying, looking really miserable and bedraggled after the cyclone and really enjoyed drawing the reflections of the little palm trees around the edge of the pool. Now, I only had, I think, some kind of a grey-blue ink with me um, because I was continuing my illustration business from um, from, our, from from where we were in Mauritius. So um, then I th- it occurred to me, you know what? There's that thing called watercolours. Maybe I should start using some colour. So one of my husband's lovely relatives, Guy, uh, Guy took me... Uh, on a trip, on a road trip to the heart of the island and he found me an art shop where I bought some watercolours. Um, I got some paper sent to me from South Africa. Mauritius wasn't big at the time on art materials. It's really a very small island. Um, and armed with my paints, a few paintbrushes I had and my new pad of paper, well, I left the house. I did, I left the house. And I cannot tell you 
how frightened I was that first day. My heart was scudding around in my chest and I really thought, you know, am I going to get murdered? Uh, what, what what am I doing? Is this are people dangerous? Are are strangers dangerous? Are are are, are Mauritians all all dangerous? But I went anyway, and it just is a mark of my absolute ignorance and naivety that I didn't even think to take something to sit on. So I ended up having to sit at the edge of the sea, very close to our our, our home, um, because there was a bench. There was a bench on the edge of the sea, and I sat down. And by and by, I was drawing the, I was drawing the sea, and I was drawing a, a fisherman sticking out of the water where they 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 hang around all day up to their waist in, in water, um, fishing, and I was drawing away, and a woman came along, and she was a road sweeper, she was dressed in sort of a khaki, uh, khaki outfit, and she had a, a, a sort of a little bit of a battered straw hat on. She was very tall, and she had that beautiful smooth brown skin, um, that you see so much in Mauritius, and. She's very Mauritian, you know, the almond eyes, the whole lot. Very tall, very big. And she stopped and she stopped sweeping the path and she looked at me and she said, Vous dessinez la mer? You are drawing the sea. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, elle est belle, la mer. The sea is beautiful. And she smiled and she went on her way. I thought, well, that wasn't very scary. That was nice. You know, it was nice. And little did I know at the time that... Basically, when you're out sketching, people are so nice. They just are so nice. I I will tell you, I will share with you some of the stories that um that I've I've come across in my sketching journeys. But on that day, that was the very, very first encounter I had with a stranger as I sketched. And it couldn't have been nicer. You know, it couldn't have been nicer. Just a nice woman making a nice comment. So that was my very, very first time sketching outdoors in in the wild so to speak and I decided to go a little further so the next place I went was a few days later I went to the market in Triolet Triolet which is a little um little village very close to where I was staying and there I met a little man a little man called Nitin and I will tell you about Nitin in a little while, so hang on and I'll be back to you in a minute. Before I tell you about Nitin, I want to just tell you about the the illustration that is part of um, today's episode, the little palm tree and the pool. And, you know, it's a really tasteful pool. It was designed by my husband's sister, Michelle, who owned the villa where we were staying and it was surrounded by these gorgeous dark blue slates um, and it was lined with these lovely dark blue slates which had the effect of making the water the most divine colour of sort of a very, very dark greeny blue. It wasn't like the typical turquoise colour of every single pool you see in every single part of the world. This one was just gorgeous. But the funny thing is about my drawing of it is that at the time, I was brand new to sketching and I had no idea how long sketching takes and how far the sun travels in the time that you're sketching. So while I thought I was doing great work with the shadows and so on, they'd all completely changed by the time I was doing them in the reflection in the pool. So, 
you can see that there's a lot of them don't really match up in terms of um, stripiness, you know, the direction of the stripes in the water. But I really love that sketch because, first of all, I can feel the heat in it. It reminds me of just how hot it was. It was so hot. It was so hot. We're still talking, I think, the the end of February, maybe early March by this stage. Um, and I just really love to look at that sketch and the memories that it evokes. And I will tell you that sketching is really funny that way. Unlike photos, a sketch really, really brings you back to the time and place where the sketch was done. I really think it's strange. I don't quite know why, but there's something about a sketch, even a, 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 a poorly executed sketch. It, it conjures up a time and a place in a way that I just don't often see with a photo. It's an odd one. I, I don't get it. Maybe something to do with being handmade or made by human or something. I don't know. But anyway, drawing, making that sketch, it was one of the first times, as I say, that I had drawn from life like that on a on a on a on a on a pointless sort of a way, you know, not not making it for anyone but my own my own pleasure. And I really looked, I really looked into the um into the scene that I was drawing and I tried very hard to um to capture the shapes that I was seeing. Of course I would learn in time not just to draw the shadows all in the same 10 minute period before they've got a chance to move too much. But I would learn about reflections and how they move in the water, depending on what the wind is doing. Um, and just the, 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 the different ways that I suppose light behaves in your sketch, um, in, especially in this strong, strong sunlight. There's a lot of things I would do differently now. I don't use the same pen now. I don't use the same paints. I don't even use the same paper. Don't use the same brush. Oh, um, if you're interested to know what materials I use now, just go to my very first episode where I've detailed them all. I've listed them all out and I will do so again. Um, but that sketch for me, I, I, I love that sketch and I could never part with it. It's just it marks the beginning of my new life as a sketcher. And of course, as I say, I didn't know it at the time, but it marked the start of a period of happiness that continues to this day. Okay, let me tell you a little bit about Nineteen. Back in a minute. I decided to go to the market in Triolet to make my next sketch. Um, it was the market in Triolet was very, very colourful, and it was full of fruit and vegetables, the likes of which I'd never seen before and didn't recognise. There were many markets in Triolet. So Triolet is a very long, long street. So it's kind of like a small town stroke, big village. Um, and it's always really, really hot, really, really hot, or it was at that time of the year. So we're talking again, late February, early March at this stage. Um, and it's got a strongly Hindu character. There would be a lot of puja shops selling religious garlands. Um, there would be a strong smell of incense in the air. Um, there are three temples in Triolet. There is the uh, mosque, because there's a lot of Muslims in Triolet as well, who originally would have come from the Indian subcontinent. Um, there are There is a Hindu temple, which is, you'll find out a little bit more about that. 
Um, and there is a Tamil temple, which I'll also be happy to talk to you about. It's an absolutely crazy place. And I had fun sketching there. Um, but I'll talk to you about that in a later episode. So anyway, here I am um, arriving at the market, park my little tiny rental car somewhere. And um, as I take up my spot opposite the market to start sketching, I pass a little kiosk and there's a guy in there and he's selling samosas and I sort of nod a greeting and he nods a greeting back and I settle down to sketch. So it's okay. The sun hasn't quite come round to cook me alive yet. I'm still in the shade and it's okay. And there's a lot of passers-by and they're coming over and being very friendly, asking me what I'm doing in Mauritius and am I French? Because I uh, always spoke French in Mauritius. And I would explain to them that I was in fact Anglophone and they would say, yes, because I thought that you, I would tell them I'm from Ireland and they would say, oh yes, yes, because you speak our, uh, you speak English in, in Britain, don't you? And I'd be like, it's not Britain, but I wouldn't say that. I just, you know, let it go. No point. Um, but they were all very, very friendly, very, very polite. And um, at that time I was still really nervous to sketch in public. So I used to wear a huge straw hat, massive sunglasses, and I would have little earphones um, and I'd be listening to my little Nokia phone, the radio on my little Nokia phone. So I'd be listening to Mauritian FM, you know, every day. Um, and I loved it. It was great listening to cool, um, you know, Indian music and stuff. But I sketched away and the guy in the kiosk, he hops out of the kiosk and he turns out to be extremely small. He must have been five foot um, and he'd been on a quite a high stool in the inside the kiosk. It was a bit of a surprise. Tiny little guy gets out. And he put up a sign in front of me and I thought, oh, what's he doing? And then he spun the sign around to show me what it said. And it said, no parking. Okay, so a lot of the signage in Mauritius would be in English, even though the day-to-day language is French. And then the um, language of the ordinary people tends to be Creole. I think there's 19 official languages in Mauritius. It's complete melting pot of everybody. It's a absolutely fascinating place, but sure, we'll come to that. So Nitin, as he turned out to be called Nitin, he showed me this no no parking sign and I nodded merci and got on my, um, got on my sketching. And a few more guys came up to me and talked a lot about the sketch. There's always men. They were very discreet. They didn't bother me. I remember at one point there was a pile of young guys who um, were in a group of about four or five and they were chattering amongst themselves quite animatedly about my sketch and almost touched the surface of the sketch. But, you know, they're a bunch of guys, so I didn't tell them, hey, don't touch my sketch, because you just never know. So I let them, whatever. Um, And then just as I was going, um, I said goodbye to the little man. I told him I'd be back tomorrow to do some painting. So I came back the next day and enjoyed my painting. It was really great. Didn't make much of a job of the sketch. I was a bit disappointed, but I did my best. And when I was finished, I said goodbye. Thank you very much. Here's the sketch I did. Would you like to see it? Blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, my goodness, that's wonderful. Um, I insist that you, um, I would like to give you a present of these samosas. I said, oh, thank you very much. No, I didn't. I said, oh, no, thank you. No, thank you very much. Because I, I to be honest, I didn't trust uh, street food at the time. I, I really thought, you know, I'd get food poisoning, you know, roasting hot, 40 degrees heat, food sitting around all day. And he was very offended. And he said, uh, why not? What's wrong with my samosas? 
And I said, oh, um, I haven't brought any money, which was true. And he said, life is not all about money. He said, my wife has made these samosas this morning and I would like you to have some. So I accepted them. And I think I came back briefly the next day, maybe to do a little bit of touching up. And I just said to him, oh, and he introduced him to himself to me. He said, my name is Nitin. And we chatted a little bit. And I said to him the next day, I said, you tricked me. You knew how amazing your samosas were. And you knew I'd have to come back for more. And he laughed. Yes. <laughs> so uh, they really were. And you have to remember that because the vast majority of people in Mauritius are of Hindu um, religion, they are vegetarian. So none of this street food has any meat in it. So, you know, how bad is it going to be? It's not just healthy and not food poisoning. It's divine. It's also dirt cheap. Um, I remember there's one, and again, I'll talk to you another day about this, I'm getting sidetracked, but there's one thing that we used to just eat in our in their droves, which were called dal puri. Dal puri. Anyone Mauritian knows what dal puri is. And it's basically a chickpea pancake that's smeared with seven different types, or around seven anyway, different types of curries, all vegetarian. Um, and then you can have it with chili or without chili. Yes, please, chili sauce. Uh, and one of the vegetables that they put in it is basically um, gathered from the riverside every morning, which is really cool. You know, it's like foraging in a place where foraging isn't isn't cool. Um, and they cost about, um, I remember we worked it out, I think they were about 40 cents, maybe even less, um, you know, to buy a dal puri. So we just, that's, in the end, I copped on and realised that you don't actually have to cook a Mauritius. You just buy street food. It's cheap, it's nutritious and it's absolutely divine. So Nitin told me, I started chatting with Nitin and he told me that his brother uh, was the manager or the something anyway of the Hindu temple um, on the outskirts of Triolet village and that he would love to um, invite me to sketch there. So I was very pleased and I wrapped up my sketch and off I went. And thinking that was the end of it, um, very nice man and blah, blah, blah. Um, now, he did share a few of his thoughts with me about how he thinks it's the right way to live. He told me how angry he was uh, that uh, a, a woman can have four children and be divorced and uh, look to, and have no money. And I, I tried to tell him, look, you know, I'm sure she didn't plan it that way. And uh, but he had no sympathy. So. He did have some quite strong thoughts and feelings um, about how one should live. He offered to take me to Combassin with his wife and little girl. Um, Combassin being a sort of a touristy destination. It's um, it's a holy lake in the middle of Mauritius, um, where f full of full of uh, of gods. You know, great big plaster gods or whatever they're made out of. Um, again, I'll tell you all about Combassin in another episode. Um, suffice to say, it's just nuts. Um, so that was my experience of my first meeting with Nitin, um, my first enjoying of a street street food in Mauritius. And I suppose my first real encounter with the general public, other than that lovely lady who stopped and told me that the sea was beautiful. This was the first time that I realised just how wonderful the general public can be. I'll tell you more about that the next time. That's all for this week's episode of Sketch Therapist. 
Join me next time for more stories of Life as a Sketcher.